Good morning. As usual, this is the Azorian one, Anthony and Steve, showing you my hand. <laughs> Let me just kind of tilt this up for us. There we go. A little bit. There we go. All right, I'm going to further back. How are you? Good morning, everyone. You might notice that I don't have a, uh, I don't have a coffee mug with me at the moment, and that's because I kind of already had my breakfast Sunday morning, and I was up by 5:45. That's the ones over there. Decided to wake up that time. It's great. So, been awake. We uh, we watched Hotel Transylvania. That was on, and now the boys are watching the classic Nightmare Before Christmas. Jack Skellington and his crew is currently on the screen. They're eating their breakfast. Hopefully I got some time here. Today, I will have a set topic for you. We're gonna to talk about one thing, one thing only. Move this guy off to the side there. You might not see also that seated to my right is my cat, our cat, Cal. Uh, yes, it is spelled the Kryptonian way, K-A-L. He's over here next to me. You can't see him right now because of this jack-o'-lantern. I know if you're in the chat room, there's a chat room bar on my end, but he's right, he's right there next to me there. Felt like sitting next to me today. Well, anyway, so to show you that Cal is here. He might move around, but tends to be up all night, so he's kind of sleepy probably. So he might just lay there for a bit. So, as you may have noticed on social media, I had one topic I want to talk about today. One topic only. It's Halloween related. It's very Halloween related. The, the jack-o'-lanterns are part of the ambiance here that I'm going for. Those of you who, can't, who aren't watching, uh, I have a nice little lit up plastic jack-o'-lantern with an angry face to my left, to the screen's left as well. And I have a lit candle here, a fake lit candle. It does the whole flickering effect, you see that? Yeah, there you go, see, a little flicker, like that? Yeah. That's off to my right with a big plastic jack-o'-lantern that used to have a light in it, but the bulb went out, so not just for looks. I'll get a bulb for him. Uh, so, today's topic, today's theme, today's entire theme of the show is one thing and one thing only. I'm showing it to the screen right now. John Carpenter's Halloween. I'm showing the camera, those of you who are just listening, my DVD... 25th anniversary edition of the film. Those of you who are fully aware lately, we are at the 40th year of Hall of 40th anniversary of John Carpenter's Halloween. So I have to, you know, catch up my purchases. I'm gonna go Blu-ray this year. But I got this back when it came out. Early like 2003, yeah. And it's a lovely booklet. It's got the movie itself right there. And it's got these special features with Michael's face right there. This went over the entire history of the making of the film, what it took to make it, all that. And that's what I'm going to be doing today, is talking to you about what is my absolute favorite horror movie of all time, Halloween. Um, I'll start it off with, I wasn't always the biggest horror movie fan. I didn't grow up a horror movie fan when I was just a wee lad. Uh, I didn't become, I didn't get really introduced to good horror until 
I saw Scream. Uh, Scream was the the first horror movie I ever watched, and that one is even kind of a tongue-in-cheek poke fun at the horror genre while also being a horror movie. Uh, so Scream introduced me to horror movies, and if you've watched Scream, if you're a big fan of Scream, oh, Manderson, I'll get to your question there in a second. Uh, if you've watched Scream, you know that this movie itself plays a big part in Scream. It's involved in the finale. It's referenced quite a few times. Uh, Manderson, you're asking, does Halloween hold up after 40 years? Now, to me, yes. Uh, and take into consideration that this movie, John Carpenter's Halloween, was an indie film. It was made just under 320, or excuse me, $325,000 would it took to make it. The 25000 was just to take care of Donald Pleasant's uh, performance, the gentleman who played Dr. Sam Loomis, Michael Myers' doctor, in the movie. But yeah, they, they made the movie for 325000 which for a film, that's... At that time, that's like... It's not a lot of money for a film to be made, even in 1978. But they did it. So, let me get to the history of how this film right here was made. Brief history. And I take into consideration the history I'm giving you is from my viewing of special features on this DVD, from doing my own reading and research, and from a very good podcast that's going on right now called Halloween Unmasked. It's hosted by The Ringer's Amy Nicholson. Uh, she does also the po podcast Unspooled, where they focus on certain movies. She is a fan of Halloween. So she, being that it's the 40th anniversary, 40th anniversary of Halloween, dedicated an entire podcast, eight episode podcast, they've done six so far, about the entire history of this movie. How it was made, how they got the actors, the impact the movie had on the horror genre and film in general, uh, the, the aspects of fear, the psychology of Michael, the uh, females in horror movies, and the start of Jamie Lee Curtis's career. All that is in that podcast. So, if you haven't heard that podcast, after you've heard The Capeless Crusaders and Sunday Coffee, go listen to Halloween Unmasked. Even if you're not a horror movie fan, even if you're just a film fan, listen to this movie because it give the uh, listen to this podcast because it gives you a great history on this horror movie and how the movie itself has impacted film in general so with that said my quick rundown of how this movie came to fruition horror movies before halloween kind of always fit the same uh, mold it was some scary being most likely most likely a a, a being that is uh that is out there that uh, you can't understand, that is some sort of mystic or some sort of uh, evil being, not human, in a castle in Transylvania or way out in the middle of nowhere. I will pet you right now. She needs to be petted. Okay, that's good. No more. That's good. You're fine. So, <clears throat> please, that movie was made. Correct. Fun fact by Manderson. With inflation, it would have cost Halloween $1.25 million today to make. Take into consideration. Movies don't get made for that unless it's really, really indie and you get really, really lucky. Um, so until then, movies were horror movies were always these beasts and creations that can't be killed way out in Transylvania or far away. The closest you even got was in 19, early 1960s when you got the movie Psycho. 
by Alfred Hitchcock. And even then, while Psycho was modernized, it was still a, a motel in the middle of nowhere that you pulled off the side of the road and used. It wasn't nearby. In comes producer Erwin Yablant, and he wants to make a horror movie. And he's got this new guy who he thinks is great, and the guy's name is John Carpenter. John Carpenter at this time had just made a, a short film out of college, and he had already completed Assault on Precinct 13. And Assault on Precinct 13 got rave reviews. It wasn't a blockbuster, it wasn't a big hit, it didn't make a lot of money. But critics loved the way it was filmed, they thought it was a great feature. So Erwin Yablon sees John Carpenter and says he wants to make a horror movie with him. He wants John to make this horror film. Taking into, take into consideration, John Carpenter did not want to make horror movies. He wasn't a horror movie fan. The guy wanted to make westerns, but someone's offering him a job and he wants to take it. So they want to make a horror movie. And Erwin Yablon's is the one who comes up with the idea of a crazed psychopathic killer who is roaming a suburban town killing babysitters. And the original title was going to be The Babysitter Murders, which that word, that phrase, is referenced throughout the franchise. That was the original title. So John Carpenter gets the idea, and he and his girlfriend at the time, producer Deborah Hill, come together and they start writing the screenplay. Now, during that time, Irwin Blondes is trying to think of something more creative than just saying babysitter murders. And he thinks, why not make this on the scariest night of the year? Halloween. Why not make the title Halloween? So now instead of Babysitter Murders, you now have a movie featuring a frightening, terrifying moment from the psychopath roaming free, and you put it on the haunting evening. All Hallows Eve, Samhain, Halloween. They have a title. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill come together and they create this story. From what I remember, I think it took only, it took maybe two weeks. I think I'm right on that math. Maybe two weeks for John and Deborah to develop this script. Carpenter himself came up with the, uh, the character of Michael Myers, the uh, Dr. Loomis history, and everything leading up. Deborah Hill, she's the one who took care of the dialogue between the actors, between our, our female, our, our heroine, Laurie Strode, and her best friends, Annie and Linda. All that dialogue was Deborah Hill's uh, additions to the script. They create this story, they get $325,000 from an executive producer named Mustafa Akkad, who at the time had just been producing uh, films based in the Middle East. But he saw something that could happen. He got up with, he hooked up with Yuri Neblons and they produced this. They got this unknown actress named Jamie Lee Curtis. The only thing she has to her fame, besides a few TV minor roles, is she is the daughter of Hollywood royalty, Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh. Now think about it, Tony Curtis, Spartacus, big name. Janet Leigh, big name. She was the unlucky woman in the shower in Psycho. So they just landed the daughter of not only Hollywood royalty, but someone who's had their foot in the horror franchise. She was in one of the greatest ones of all time at that time, Psycho. Why not take Jamie Lee Curtis? But it wasn't just that. Carpenter saw more to her. She looked like a girl you would know just down the street. Someone you live near. A small town girl living in a lonely world. Whatever. Um, they start going. They make this film. And it's guerrilla filmmaking. 
It's not a big production. $325,000, and $25,000 is going to Donald Pleasance for the Dr. Loomis role, which I think took him 10 days to film. That's a good paycheck at that time, especially. They make this film. It's Carpenter with his rig. It's his buddies. Nick Castle, his directing college friend that they've known forever, does John a solid, and he plays Michael Myers. To this day, he is, of course, the most remembered version of Michael Myers. And it was simply a solid he was doing for a buddy of his. Nick Castle went on to become a big director. Look up his name, you'll find out what he's done, and you'll be like, Nick Castle did that? Nick Castle did that. Michael Myers did that. Um, movie was made, John Carpenter got on the score, created the music, that did, 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 did. that's John Carpenter musical greatness. Just adding to the epicness of this film. What we got was was called the best horror movie of all time. It hit theaters. It was the biggest independent film success ever. For a movie that cost three hundred twenty-five thousand in seventy-eight, it made forty million. That's big. It held that title for twenty years as the biggest independent film box office in history. Those of you wondering, the movie that broke it, The Blair Witch Project in ninety-eight. So for twenty years, this film right here is the bible of horror movies. It is the biggest money maker. When you go to Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes and they still break down reviews from past movies that were around before there ever was Rotten Tomatoes. This movie sits at 93%. 93% for a horror movie. It's a big thing. Nightmare. This movie is also the grandfather of the slasher. <coughs> While we had Psycho, Psycho wasn't considered a slasher movie. Eerie, thriller, suspense. Horror, not a slasher. This began the slasher movies. This is why Jason exists. This is why Freddy exists. This is why Chucky exists. Jigsaw. All those guys. Because of this right here. And the funny thing about it, in Halloween, there's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of murder compared to today's movies. There's just a lot of suspense. And now we're going to go into why I love this movie so much. I love this movie so much because it felt more than just your typical horror movie that we're used to today. Now, I didn't grow up on this film. It came about this film when I thought that horror movies were just about blood and guts and jump scares. You know what's not about just blood and guts and jump scares? John Carpenter's Halloween. You get two jump scares in this movie and they're not even the actual killer doing the scaring. They're, they're fake outs. They're Lori getting surprised by the sheriff who's saying hi to her. They're a, uh, a piece of a windowsill going through a window and scaring Dr. Loomis. It's nothing Michael does. What makes this movie so great is the anticipation of what's to come. You spend 50 minutes knowing Michael is around, knowing Michael's watching, but you don't exactly know where he's at all the time and you're waiting for it, the build-up. You're learning about the characters. You're actually caring about the characters of Lori, Annie, and Linda, Sheriff Brackett, Dr. Loomis. Empathy is building with these characters you're watching. Many slasher films don't do that. A lot of them, and I'm gonna, I'm be, I'm gonna be honest with you, Jason, Freddy, 
respect to them as icons in the industry. But those movies did not do, in my opinion, what this movie did. They didn't make you care about the characters at all. You kind of just went into those movies wanting to see the killer kill. In this, you actually give a damn about Lori and her friends. You actually give a damn about Dr. Loomis. They made you learn the characters, learn the city of Haddonfield, before Michael unleashes his reign of terror. That's why I like this, like this so much. Uh, the story of Michael Myers. You have no clear-cut reason as to why he's evil. Now, yes, the Halloween 2 sequel in 81, the sequels that were made in the late 80s and 90s, Halloween 4, 5, and 6, they came up with these you know, these explanations of why Michael's evil. He's Laurie's sister. Um, he has this uh, cult that controls him and, and has him always come out on Halloween night because he's here for the harvest to clean up because it must happen every Halloween. Um, if you go through Rob Zombie's uh, reboots of the film, Michael had a bad childhood mixed in with an evil that was already brewing inside him. And when you got to Rob Zombie's sequel, turns out his mother's spirit was controlling him and telling him what to do. Sounds a lot like Jason. Rob, I respect you. Love your music. I enjoyed your first Halloween. That second one, though, man. Mm -mm. I can't get on board with that one. Love the cast, but mm -mm. don't. Mm -mm. That second one, man. Good try. No, first one much better than that second one. But what? makes Michael so scary to me, so appealing as a horror character, is the fact that you don't know why he's evil. You don't know. There's no explanation. He's a force of nature. He's an unexplained, chaotic, evil force of nature that kills whatever is in his path, because it must be done. Why? We don't know. But I have no clue why. That's the point of the story. You can't figure this out. There's no... There's no equation as to why Michael is evil. There's no explanation to why Michael is evil. He simply is. Compare it to Heath Ledger's Joker. You don't need a backstory. It's what makes him scarier. You don't know why he's the way he is. He's not gonna tell you the way he is. He's giving you fake stories as to why he's the way he is. Just to make you kind of appeal for him right before he kills you. Michael doesn't even give you that. Michael hasn't said a word since he killed his sister when he was six and put into an insane asylum. Not a word has been spoken by that man until 1978 when he breaks out the night before Halloween and he goes back home to continue what he began as a young boy. That, freaky, like the Billy Loomis character in Scream, it's so much more scarier when there isn't a motive. You don't know why Hannibal Lecter killed people. You don't know why. You don't know why exactly why Norman Bates wanted to kill people and protect his mother. He just did. You don't know why Michael killed his sister at age six and why he continues to want to kill on this day. He just does. That's what makes me appeal to the story so much. Um, <laughs> uh... He, he, I don't think he's boring without superpowers. Uh, turn him into Red Hulk, Michael Myers. Yeah, well, Roo Roo. Sure, you could try that and see how that works. Um, so you, you've got the story, I love the buildup of it. 
Um, you've got why Michael is done it. You don't know why Michael is. He just is evil. And aside from the story itself, uh, the Laurie Strode character, the heroine who is able to survive his reign of terror, uh, the heroine who steps up, as scared as she is, as frightened as she is, she doesn't cow. She cowers, but she doesn't just cower. When she gets an opportunity, she attacks. And her first instinct is to make sure the kids that she's babysitting are safe. Make sure they're okay. There comes the catchphrase that became tied to Lori Strode for her entire life. Do as I say now. The protector, protecting the baby, the kids she's babysitting from this insane killer who's already scarred her up. You can't hate Lori Strode. That's just, just, she's the beginning of the final girl. The girl who survives in the end. And in my opinion, she's still the toughest of the final girls. Just saying. So along on top of the way the story goes and, and what the characters are fueled by, my love for this as a filmmaking fan was how John Carpenter put his staple on this movie and the horror genre to come. He filmed this with limited resources, but he made it work with what he had. He didn't demand that he needed to have more money the way he was filming something. He found a way to make it look good with the money he had. Creative attempts, um, certain lighting aspects, getting fake fall leaves, or no, getting actual leaves that from the fall, dumping them out with a blower during certain windy scenes, and when the yelled cut, having everyone pick those leaves back up because they can't afford to get more leaves. It's creative ways of thinking to get this done. Little things is telling Nick Castle that after he stabbed uh, Paul and left him there against the wall to turn your head while you're looking at him. Kind of making it seem like Michael is just looking, admiring what he's just done. Little aspects like that that a, that a filmmaker sees that become staples for this character and genres to come. Boy, Tommy. So, that there, uh, Halloween is what made me want to start writing my own stories, finding ways of getting my stories told. Learning about how important a script is, or what it takes to create a well-developed script, or taking a minor, small idea and running with it and making it something grander. This movie did that for me. Um, and it's not to knock that I don't enjoy the, 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 the... I enjoy bloody, gory horror movies for what they are. I enjoy Saw. Saw's great. I, uh, the Conjuring. Actually, The Conjuring is not that bloody or gory. Freaky. I put Conjuring more on this level than the Halloween level than the gory, the gory uh, torture porn, as some people call them. Hostile. I even kind of enjoyed Hostile, and that was was freaky and bloody and gory as hell. But I enjoyed that. But to me, if all you have in your horror movie is blood, gore, and jump scares, you're making a B movie thing that's going to be made for like early, um, late 2000s Netflix. You remember those days when Netflix only had like B-movie horror movies? Like you had two good horror movies and then everything was B-movie, the old Netflix days when we were just starting to get a little bit of money? I'm not a big fan of those, okay? <laughs> Venom. <laughs> yeah. Good call, Ruru. 
Like Venom. Um, Venom is probably the most uh, big budget, well casted B movie in history. Boys. You heard me. Venom. Well casted, high budget B movie. That's just that's just the dig on the writer and director. I apologize. Um, sorry. Uh, and that's only from word of mouth. I haven't seen Venom yet. I've only heard the rest of the cast and their, the rest of our Crusader crew and what they've had to say about it. And I've kind of put pieces together, visualizing. Um, I enjoy the gory and the bloody horror movies for what they are. But to me, they're not memorable. They're not... They don't push me. They don't excite me. They don't make me want to be attached to the film. I'll watch them. I'll enjoy the parts that I think they do well, but they're not going to capture my heart the way stories like Halloween does. Yes. Okay. They don't capture my attention the way Halloween does. The way you make me have to earn the fear that's coming. How you scare me not with blood and guts. You scare me that I know someone's over there watching and I don't know where he is. Like suddenly he's in the background while Annie's talking on the phone, then he's not. And you think something's coming, hasn't appeared yet, and then it catches you off guard. Driven by a story that is that captures your attention. That's the horror movies I want. That's why Halloween is my all-time favorite. That's why The Conjuring is my favorite horror film of the 21st century. It was Saw. The Conjuring took over. Granted, James Wan is behind both of them. James, James Wan, by the way, I'm gonna say next Carpenter, James Wan. The way he makes his films, I, I'm so impressed by that man. And he's now doing Aquaman, which I'm curious to see how he does. He's producing the Swamp Thing series, which that to me is a genius move. Don't know why they're releasing it in the summer. DC Universe. Oh yeah, let, let's take let's take a being that would be perfect during a Halloween time. They'd be great to have during a haunting season, and let's put them in hot ass June and July. <laughs> Stupid. Anyway, I'm still gonna watch it. I'm, I'm gonna be annoyed that I'm watching it wearing a tank top and shorts instead of a hoodie with lit up candles. Another brilliant decision by those guys over there. September, I heard it, uh, Ruru, you said Swamp Thing is a September movie. I heard it was going to be ending in September, but according to the timeline, it shows it starts in June. It's not, it's not, well, I mean, I see it end in September, but from what we saw, in the, unless they've moved it, unless they've changed it, from what I saw, the little timeline they had showed that it starts in June, or July, and ends in September, which, okay, it ends close, close to Halloween, but... Still something I want to watch during this season, not red, white, and blue fireworks season. Uh, not, not Hot August Night's Neil Diamond's album season. No one else listen to that? No one else a Neil Diamond Hot August Night's guy? Forget I said it. Never mind. We're good. They should move it. It should be a fall series, but they're not doing that. You're just getting jealous. Look. The boys are watching Nightmare Before Christmas. Daddy's doing a show, okay? I will, I'm gonna pitch you when we're done. You can't keep doing this, okay? Come on. Ego. And Cal is still here, quietly sitting. Still quietly sitting. So, we've covered that Carpenter and Deborah Hill wrote greatness. Um, presented us greatness. Jamie Lee Curtis 
as the role of Lori. She became the horror queen. She became the scream queen. Which, at a time, people thought was like, okay, scream queen, just some girl running. Honestly, scream queen now, to me, is something to be honored. Because whether people realize it or not, horror movies started the careers of a lot of our young stars today. Jamie Lee Curtis. Young stars then, to become stars today. Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Kevin Bacon in, Fr in Friday the 13th. Johnny Depp in Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. He wasn't in Nightmare Before Christmas. It's Tim Burton, but not Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was in Nightmare, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nev Campbell, though she had Party of Five, took off after Scream. Jennifer Love Hewitt, also had Party of Five, took off after I Know What You Did Last Summer. Horror movies have a way of getting these new people introduced and put on the screen because horror movies are cheap and horror movies are seen by everyone. The majority of people are, are gonna go see a horror movie because actually, as I put it, the feeling of being scared is the feeling of being alive. And you go get excited for two hours, you get scared, but you survive the scary moment and you walk out kind of feeling good, at least I do, it's just me. Citing the Joy of Fear episode of Halloween Unmasked, listen to that episode, we'll explain what fear is. Thank you. Uh, Amanda, what do we got? I'm pretty old. Amanda says I'm pretty old. I'm 36. Okay, I'm not 50, I'm 36. Ridiculous. Uh, oh, the Nightbot just commented. <laughs> yes, Neil Diamond did say that everywhere around the world they're coming to America because of horror movies. Could be. Could be. There's some horror directors who weren't born here. They came here. They made horror movies. Guillermo del Toro. Case closed. Neil Diamond called it. Is the America song on Hot August Nights, though? I don't I don't think he sung it yet. The Hot August Nights is a 70s album. And I want to say the jazz singer, which the song America is featured in, was... 80? 84? Early 80s. And Hot August Nights is 70s, so no America yet, but good addition in there. Emphasis on pretty. I'm pretty old. Oh, pretty old. Good save, Anderson. Um, so, of course, this movie fell into the... the. I don't know why she's crying. She's been outside. She came back in. She doesn't like people eating when she has eaten already. Indiana, my dog. She had her breakfast first. I think that bugs her because then she sees more food and wants to eat it. And she shouldn't. You shouldn't. I'm just saying. They had donuts. You can't have that. He's sleeping because he's up all night meowing. So it's great. I'm not tired at all. Um, Halloween gave birth to the slasher franchise, slasher genre. Um, but in my opinion, no one else captured it. And Halloween itself even fell into the... I'm done! Wait, okay. Wow, that was rude. All right, time out, I'm gonna give him crackers. Time out. Here, check out the DVD and the jack-o'-lantern staring at you as I walk and get them a little more. So enjoy the flickering lights, enjoy them. You might see Cal now that I've gotten up. I'm, I'm getting you a cracker, buddy. Have I done that long already? All right, well, I'll wrap it up. Hey, here's this for you, and here's that for you. 
You get a few more minutes. All right. Kind of done that. Stay. All right. Okay. Yes, I'm wearing the I'm wearing the Deadpool pants. The Deadpool pants are on. All right. So, Halloween did fall into the slasher trap of Q Halloween theme. As I walk away, I should have said I'd be right back. That's what I should have said. I should have I should have cited Scream and said I'd be right back. One of the rules you don't say in a horror movie. Roll back the footage and see if I did say it. I don't remember. Um, if someone starts walking up behind me, just go with it. Because I'll go with it. Because I really want to sell the moment. Um, the Halloween sequels, which John Carpenter was not involved in, uh, he didn't want to make. He did not want to make a sequel to Halloween, but contractually he had to. So they wrote the Halloween Two sequel in 1981. He wrote it in one day with a six pack of beer. So you can see how happy he was about how happy he was about making the sequel. No one was really happy about doing it. They wanted to leave it where it was, but contractually they had to do it. And because of that movie, we ended up getting a franchise. And four, five, and six, uh, Halloween, The Return of Michael Myers, Halloween, The Revenge of Michael Myers, and Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. They're enjoyable marathon films. I'll watch them when AMC is like rolling through them. It was the birth of Danielle Harris's career as an actress. She played little Jamie in Halloween four and five. She went on to become a, a horror princess. Um, she was in Last Boy Scout, did a lot of TV stuff, ended up becoming a horror movie, a B-movie horror movie director and actress. She's done quite a few. If you've seen the Hatchet series, that's her work. Um, and she ended up being in Rob Zombie's reboot of Halloween in both films. She played Annie. So there's some great elements that come out of the Halloween sequels. Daniel Harris being one of them. Donald Pleasance continuing his performance as Dr. Loomis. And as, if there's any strength, in those Halloween sequels, four, five, and six, it's Donald Pleasance's commitment to being Dr. Loomis because he loved playing the character and his parts are awesome. It just, it just gets into the point, those movies where you don't care about the characters anymore besides Daniel Harris's character, Jamie. Everyone else is like, mm, we're just here to have Michael. They're just ammunition for Michael. So you can just kill, kill, kill on screen. Doesn't have the special that this had. Um, then they had uh, Halloween H2O where they brought back Jamie Lee Curtis. That one was good. Um, still with its weaknesses, but good. Uh, Halloween Resurrection, we will never talk about Halloween Resurrection. Uh, that one thought it was cool to just kill Jamie Lee in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, yay. Yeah, that's cute. And then just make another movie without the character and put Busta Rhymes in a, in a Michael Myers costume and talk smack to the actual Michael Myers. I love Buster Rhymes. He should have never done this movie. His resurrection is like Godfather Part 3. It never happened. No one wants that one. If you buy the Blu-ray collection, you burn Halloween Resurrection. Okay? Yeah. Come It's a rule. At least Halloween 6 gave us Paul Rudd's film debut. We got Kunu in Halloween 6. At least it had that. Okay? That's right. Paul Rudd's debut was Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. He was in Clueless. Clueless was released first, but Halloween 6 was filmed first. So, that's his film debut. Mm -hmm. Good old Cooney. Scott Lang. Uh, so, with that said, you now know a little bit of history on Halloween. A little bit of why I love the movie so much. Uh, Scream was the best, was my horror movie best friend 
who introduced me to my horror movie love of my life. There you have it. So Scream introduced me to Halloween. So thank you, Scream, directed by Wes Craven. Um, there's why I love the movie so much. Uh, case in point, to bring this to a close, Halloween that came out this weekend, the 40-year anniversary uh, sequel to the first movie. So basically, pretend all the other sequels and reboots never happened. And the one that came out this weekend as a direct sequel to the first movie, with Jamie Lee Curtis in it, opened to rave reviews. It's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at like an 85%. It is the highest rated of all the sequels. Just below the 93% of Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. But the new one is at 85%. It was slated to have made anywhere between 70 to 80 million this weekend. I have not checked the box office results before I got on the air. Um, but the last story I read, it was going to make it between 70 and 80 million. That is more than the first movie, of course. Granted, it was 1978. That means it's the highest opening for the entire franchise, even the Rob Zombie reboots. And the new film only cost 10 million to make. It only cost 10 million. 10 million to make, and you've made 70 to 80 million your opening weekend. So, I'm gonna say success, success, rave reviews, 85%, 80, 70 to 80 million opening weekend. There it is, 77.5 million opening weekend for Halloween. Thank you, Ruru. Uh, is that, that take it that's domestically? That's US domestic? I don't know if it opened worldwide yet, but. Okay, boys, thank you. I don't know if it opened worldwide yet, but I believe that 77 million is just domestic. If that's accurate, that's amazing. Yes? Okay, wait. All done. All done. Um, 77 million, if that's domestic, that's amazing for a movie that costs 10 million. So, that's astounding. Now, there's sequel talk. Without me spoiling it, the movie ends in a way where you could leave it where it's at and it's good, or you could continue with the sequel. 91.8 million worldwide. Thank you, Ruru, for the info. Thank you. 91.8 million worldwide. That's massive. Wow. So excited right now. Anyway, um, you could have a sequel. I just don't want it to happen. I would love for this movie to be the end of it. It ends the Laurie Strode story. It ends the story that started 40 years ago. It has a good ending to it to where you can leave it where it's at. Just be done. I know it's not going to happen because the studios want to continue the horror franchise and kill it. I know. I just really don't want them to. I want to scream at them, the studio, every day saying, Don't do it. Make something else. Don't continue it. End it here. They're not going to listen to me. I know. They're going to they're gonna make a sequel. I've already heard that Danny McBride and David Gordon Green are not involved in the sequel. Those of you who didn't know, yes, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green wrote this screenplay. Yeah, the Your Highness, This Is The End guys, they wrote this. Pretty good. But I've already heard they're not going to do a sequel. They don't, want, they don't want to be a part of the sequel. And what's the beginning to, to end a horror franchise when the original geniuses who made it don't want to be a part of the franchise later on? Don't make a sequel to this. Don't. Just stop. Just promote the hell out of this one. The 40 year. 
Jamie Lee Curtis came back. John Carpenter came back. They all loved the story. They were all behind it. Don't make something that's going to... I'm not aware of what curse words I can use. Urinate on this in the classic. Don't do it. But they're going to do it. So until the studio decides to just want to demolish this with a sequel, enjoy the time where the Halloween movie that's out this weekend is a fantastic story, keeps the essence of the original, goes in its own direction, extremely well done for its genre, story with horror, Halloween, the 40th anniversary sequel, watch that. If all, if all you watch is watch the John Carpenter classic and watch the new one out this weekend. If those are the only two you watch, you're a fantastic person because those two are the best in the entire film franchise. <laughs> Wish they keep it there. But anyway, that brings Sunday Coffee with the Azorian one to a close. I went longer than I thought I would. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check. Yeah, yeah. I went longer than I thought I would. <laughs> That's what I said to her. We won't do that. Um, get a, get M. Night Sh- get M. Night Shyamalan to direct a sequel and have the twist ending be Michael is an alien. Room. No. No. We already had Jason X, where he's in space. I don't want Michael as an alien. Don't do that. Don't. You made me laugh, and then you made me cringe at the same time. That's a great way to end the show. Uh, anyway, have a great Sunday, October 21st. We are less than 10 days until the actual holiday of Halloween. If you're looking for good Halloween-esque things to do, you can, uh, if it's movie-wise, AMC, of course, is having their Fear Fest. Enjoy the horror movies they show. Granted, they're edited and have commercials, but it's still something. Uh, IFC, Independent Film Channel, will have horror movies that they're showing off and on. They have commercials, but they don't edit their movies, so there's that. Um, there is Shudder, which is, I believe, AMC's streaming network that is just for horror films. So if you want to pay $4.99 a month, watch, get Shudder, because I hear great things. I don't have it yet. They don't sponsor me, but I've heard amazing things. Uh, if you want to learn more about Halloween and everything behind it, both fact and fictional the film process, the story, the impact the movie had, elements and psychology of horror and the Michael Myers character, as as well as I look into Jamie Lee Curtis and her career and the future of females in the horror franchise, check out Halloween Unmasked, the podcast by Amy Nicholson from the Ringer Network. The Ringer Network is the network that has Bill Simmons' podcast. Amy Nicholson, eight-episode podcast series. She's had six out so far. Eight-episode total about Halloween and every all the ins and outs of the movie itself. So, check out all that. Also, go to thecapelesscrusaders.com for everything you want to know about we, the Capeless Crusaders. You can go to our social media. We're known as the Capeless Crusaders on Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr. Um, and on Twitter, we're the Capeless Ones. You, of course, are watching us here on twitch.tv slash thecapelesscrusaders. Um, I think I'm covering all bases right there but again thecapelesscrusaders.com for all crusader information have a happy next uh, nine nine and a half days to Halloween you will see me one more time before Halloween 
on Sunday, October 28th for one last Halloween episode of Sunday Coffee with the Azorian One. It'll be something about it. something scary. I'm not sure what yet, but it'll happen. So, in the meantime, enjoy your Sunday. If you have time, watch John Carpenter's classic Halloween. Then go to the theaters and watch the new Halloween. It'll be a great back-to-back -back punch of Michael Myers and all things Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. So, without further ado, on behalf of my crew of the Capeless Crusaders, I bid you a great Sunday, and it's Halloween. We're all entitled to one good scare.